That was Spencer LaJoy singing Plowshare Prayer, the song that went viral back in 2021 and really put Spencer in the public eye. I highly recommend when you're done listening to this episode, go to Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and listen to the whole song. I've listened to it so many times and it's as moving to me now as it was the first time I heard it. Recently, I had the privilege of interviewing Spencer to promote their upcoming concert at Creative 360 in Midland, Michigan. It's this coming Friday, January 12th, and there's a suggested $20 donation at the door, but if you aren't able to give that and you want to come, I encourage you to go. It's going to be a really, really special night. This episode is one of my absolute favorites. I loved listening to Spencer's view on life and faith and religion. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. So I was introduced to you um, from seeing a a friend shared with me your video um, of uh, Plowshare Mm -hmm. Prayer. And um, and it was the first one you made. And was it 2021? Because I didn't look back. Yeah, that first one in like my Um, kitchen. Yeah. Oh, and it. I just remember it felt so dark because we were still very much in the pandemic, like the, like in it. And I remember I was in the dark in the basement and my friend sent me this video and I watched it and just, it just took my breath away. And I called to my husband and said, you have got to come down here right now. And you've got to listen to this. And I said, this is the best Christian song I've ever heard. And it's not even by a, like someone who identifies as a Christian <laughs> artist, but it had so much spirituality. And I felt like it is really what Christianity should be mm. about. So, yeah, I would love to hear the story behind the plowshare. Totally. Um, I was working uh, at one point in 2021. I was working for three churches at once in a way that we could only do during that the height of the pandemic, you know, because there was one that was meeting virtually, there was one that was just getting back to in-person on Sunday mornings, and one that was meeting on, like, Wednesday evenings. So I could record all the virtual ones for the virtual churches. I could go to in-person church on Sunday morning, you know. So I was doing three at once, which is just way too many uh, churches. And I was getting really burnt out. And I knew that I was going to, be on my way out um, very soon. But one of the churches, the Wednesday night church, asked me to write a song for one of their upcoming prayer services. And prayer was no longer part of my practice. 
Um, and I didn't want to write something inauthentic or something that didn't feel, because I was writing a lot of worship songs, even not identifying as a Christian. And it took a lot for me to dig into my past um, or whatever sort of devotion to a Christian God still felt um, pure and life-giving to me, right? Um, Because it's really not black and white, that whole, the journey of of faith. Um, And a lot of that still felt life-giving and good, so I, I had to sort of mine the depths of my soul to find something that felt authentic, to write songs that were worshipful for other people and still felt true for me, even if I wasn't using them for worship, if that makes sense. Um, But a prayer song was very specific, as someone who doesn't pray anymore, not in the same way, not so explicitly. And I sort of used the opportunity um, to say everything that I needed to say on my way out of church work. Uh, So I covered all the bases, and it really ended up being, for me, less a song to God and more a prayer for and alongside and even to my fellow humans um, and and humanity. Um, It feels very connective for me to sing it, connective to to my communities, to my people, to fellow humans, um, which you could say is God, uh, that connection, right? That's just all semantics, really, when it comes down to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I recorded a quick laptop video because I thought my in-laws would like it, um, and then it sort of, it sort of <laughs> and then it spiraled. So um, yeah, that's the story. Did that surprise you? Did did you know that you had something that was special when you made it, or were you like, "Whoa, I had no idea that this was going to happen"? Um, I didn't have any any idea that it would do what it has done. That it would it would. Mm-hmm spiral so quickly and so far and that it would change my career the way that it has I don't think we have a concept for that until it happens um I I loved the song I I feel like everything that I everything that I make that I feel is good enough to post I feel is really special and this was no different um but other people really resonated with this one too which was what made it different yeah the difference this time is that other people really resonated with it and made it their own um mm-hmm. took it into their own their own lives and their own hearts and um people really took ownership of the song in a way that they haven't done with a lot of my other songs and that makes it very special how quickly did the song come to you like once you know when um did it start with the melody with a like with a specific hook um a lyric how how did that process go it came to me quite Quite quickly, um, I think the first lines that came to me, I was walking my dog. Usually the best lyrics come when I'm doing really mundane tasks, like showering or doing the dishes or walking my dog. Um, there's something scientific about that, moving your body in a monotonous way. Um, I was walking my dog and the lines, what, what were the lines? It was... Um, I pray that if you go all day being brave, that you can go home, go to bed feeling safe. Mm. Um, and I just thought, well, that line just feels true. I feel like I can pray that. 
regardless of who I'm praying to, that's not the point. I can say that and believe it and want it. Um, and then I just started collecting lines. It took about 24 hours, probably. Um, um, and then I, I, w I went home after walking the dog and I wrote a little guitar line that, that first um, and the melody for the whole song, this is ridiculous, but that first laptop video that I sat down to record, I didn't really have a sense of what the melody would be completely. I thought this, it's sort of in three sections. I thought the first section I'm going to start on the one and sort of live there with the melody. The second section, um, I'm going to move up and play around the third. The third section, I'm going to make my way to the fifth. Um, and then I'll come back down for the refrain at the end. Um, I'm just sort of ad lib it as I go. And so I sort of ad libbed it and then, um, people really liked it. And I said, well, I guess that's the official melody now. <laughs> I can't change it. <laughs> <laughs> so, oops. That's incredible. And you know, like you said, it's, we're really sort of talking semantics, but whether you want to call it God, the universe, this connection to other human beings, something like moved, sure. you know, in you and, and it's such a gift. Um, and it really is. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> um, I'm not exaggerating when I say it is the most spiritual song I have ever heard. Hmm. Um, and I am, um, a person of faith that would say, you know, I use God, um, but I'm also very, um, understanding of the fact that we're sort of all climbing up this same mountain on mm. different sides. And so it looks different. Like you said, faith journeys are different to different people. And, um, the words we use to describe our faith journeys, um, those are words, you know, and it's what's inside of us that really matters. And I just am so grateful to you um, that you had the bravery that in the midst of um, knowing that you were going to be leaving the church, mm. um, that you had this opportunity. And instead of shutting down, you embraced it and then created this beautiful thing that people could identify with regardless of who they are mm. and where they come from, because it's really um, all about humanity and how we should care for one another. And so I just really, really appreciate that about you. No, thanks for saying that. I mean, I think it's interesting when I perform, because my performances, not just with Plowshare, but with all of my songs and the way that I perform, I, I do a lot of storytelling, a lot of banter. People will often use this word brave to me. Like it's, like it's brave or it's vulnerable what I'm, what I'm doing and the way that I'm telling, connecting stories and, and giving of myself in this way. And I see that, I understand it, and I receive it. I also think that my job is so, it's so selfish what I get to do. Um, I don't know how to live another way, you know? I don't know how to write music that doesn't feel true for me so like the plowshare I had to write that song you know I had to write it it was a selfish experience I didn't do it for anyone else <laughs> I didn't do it because they needed it you know I, I I did it because that was the only way that I could write a song like that um and I needed to say some things that felt true to me mm -hmm. um 
it didn't feel brave, really. You know, it just felt entirely selfish, which is not always a bad thing. I really, I think so. <laughs> I love, I love your honesty. And you know, it's interesting because in your music, you feel this back and forth of you wanting. At least this is what I feel when I listen to it. Is that there's this desire for connection. I feel sort of this internal battle when in your writing is mm -hmm. that you want to connect with others and you do have this selflessness about you or this humanity, this deep humanity to you. But then you're also so brutally honest about your shortcomings and about the ways that not only maybe you have failed or fallen short, but the ways that you still could that mm. are potentially in you. Um, to do that. Like I just listened to your song about um, you were saying, oh gosh, and I'm, I'm going to get this wrong. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> but it's um, something about, and I think you're talking about your wife and you're saying. Oh, at some um, point it all falls apart. Yes. Oh, that <laughs> song, man. And I was like, because you're saying I still could, you know, screw it all up. Yeah. And and there is something that I just so deeply connected with and that I think it's so honest, you know, because we are all capable of things. We all like to pretend that we're not, especially I think in the Christian community, we're like, we're up here and we can never, you know, like do those things. But it takes a really hard fall mm. to then feel like, oh, now I get it. Like, you know, and it creates empathy you wouldn't have otherwise. One of my favorite um my favorite quotes um, by a, um, a reverend, it has to do with humility. And it's just saying that um, I used to think that God's gifts were on the highest shelves. And if I just climbed, you know, higher and higher, I would get them. But it was that sinking lower and lower that that brought me closer. And I, I'm totally mm -hmm. paraphrasing right now. Um, but I, it's just my favorite. And I hear that in your music. So it's that with like angst, it's that totally brutal, like honest angst about, I want to, I want to do the right thing. I want to communicate, like I want to connect. And also there's all this going on inside me. Mm -hmm. Um, is that fair to say? Like, I know that it's my experience listening to it, but I think so. Um, I really connect with uh, this quote by Carl Rogers, who's a um, practical pastoral theologian, psychologist. Um, but he says, what is particular is most universal. Um, mm. And I think the thing that makes a lot of, I don't want to paint too broad strokes here, but I will for the sake of making a point. <laughs> um, the thing about a lot of Christian worship music is that I think it tries to get really universal. It tries to be really like high shelf. Um, it tries to be, you know, say universal truths. And those in the end are not very relatable. Um, and we can do a whole lot of scrambling to try to fit ourselves into them. I, I think I can say something very particular about the dust on my heating vent, you know. And someone will say, oh, I have that too. I have that dust too. And then we can talk about the rest of the room. Then we can talk about everything else. But what's particular, um, yeah, these, these, these little shortcomings or these little musings or these little stories. That's why storytelling, you know, is so powerful. Um, mm -hmm. What is most particular is actually the most connective. Um, mm. Yeah. 
it, and that reminds me of your song about the house fire too. When you talk about what you took with you, I, it, I wasn't expecting, I didn't know where it was going, you know? <laughs> And you were so particular in that song, you know, I, I took my cell phone charger or something. I think that's what you say. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, and it is so specific and isn't trying to be anything but what it is. It's just yeah. being honest. Yeah. And I love that idea of starting with the particular and then we zoom out and talk mm-hmm. about um, the other, you know, the larger picture stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't mind, could we go back and would you be willing to share a little bit more about your, your story, um, just about, you know, what it was like, uh, growing up and maybe growing up in the church and how you, um, decided that, you know, this isn't really the path that feels right to me anymore. And maybe along the way where you picked up music, I just, I just want to know your story. Yeah, totally. Uh, I grew up in Southwest Michigan in Hastings, Michigan. That's, you know, where my family still is today. Oh my um, gosh, my best one of my best friends is the band director there in Hastings, Spencer. Spencer, White. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so my parents um, were the band and choir director at Hastings High School for decades. Spencer took over for my dad. Oh my gosh, I'm just making this huge connection. Yeah. That I think say your say your mom's name. Uh, Patty Lejoy. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I like I know these people. <laughs> This of is course you crazy. do. This of course is you crazy. do. Okay, sorry. I won't get off on a tangent, but I'm just super excited. That, okay. Like, well, no, this is helpful. So, so now you, I think you understand a lot more about me now. So, I, I grew up. Those are my parents, Joe and Patty, um, in Hastings, Michigan. And my dad's side of the family is very Catholic. My mom's side of the family is Presbyterian. And every other week, we would go to church together as a family we would go every week but like one week we would go to the catholic church and the next week we would go to the presbyterian church so it never felt like we had to choose between the two we were always doing both all together which gave me a very ecumenical lovely childhood um around faith you know i had i had really i think a really lovely portrait of what an open table is, um, you know, everybody sits at this table, everybody, these, these, these lines around identity that we draw in the sand are just lines in the sand. Like we all eat dinner together. Right. Um, and that's lovely. Um, I was also studying music from a young age cause my parents were the band and choir director. Um, all of my family's into music. I have five siblings and we're all We all do music at the arts. Um, So it's just part of my DNA. Um, Church going, faith stuff, music playing. Yes. So of course I was studying and and in music, playing violin um, from the age of five in band, theater, orchestras, choirs, all throughout my schooling years. All of my siblings were. Um, That's just part of our DNA. Uh, So church going, part of my DNA, music, part of my DNA. I studied music in college, um, became a music minor and picked up a religion major. Um, that's a messy story, but I did. I got a religion major at a Christian university uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and met my now wife, started the coming out process as a queer person toward the end of my time at this Christian university in Southwest mm. Michigan. What was that? 
Do you want to talk a little bit more about what that was like? What that coming out process was like? Yeah. Um, I did it really well. Uh, I let people into my closet, really safe people into my closet before I came out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never publicly out when I was still in school. Um, and that was on purpose. But all of my important people, safe people, friends and family were in my closet with me. So it felt really strong and safe and supported. Um, good. It wasn't easy, but it was good, if that makes sense. I let into my closet. I think we're all Christians. Those are the only people that I knew at the time. Um, but that was 2015. So I think the, the political landscape was also shifting um, mm. at the time. And people were... It was just less and less of a big deal to have queer people in your life. You know, this Mm -hmm. wasn't so strange. Um, And so my people did okay. You know, they did okay. I wouldn't change it. Um, Yeah, yeah. So I I, I moved moved to Colorado uh, after that to be with my girlfriend. And... Uh, I got an MDiv, a Master of Divinity, at seminary there in Colorado. Um, I left School of Theology, and the first term at seminary, I knew that I did not want to be a pastor. (laughs) And I kept telling the professors, I think this is me running away from my calling, me being here at school. Mm. And they said, okay well, is it interesting for you to be here? Are you enjoying it? And I was like, yeah, I'm having a great time. I was, it was a progressive school. It was, um, the first time that I'd been around people of any kind of faith who were just out as queer people and comfortable learning alongside people of different faiths and people of no faiths. It really expanded me, and I could feel that it was expanding me in a way that I didn't have to choose. I didn't have to choose one identity over another. I didn't have to choose to be, to love the church or hate it. It could just be messy. I didn't have to choose. Um, I could just be in it all. Uh, And so I spent four years there. Um, even though I knew that I wasn't going to do anything with the degree. (laughs) Um, and I started touring at the same time, my own music and started making a living that way. And, um, now I'm, I'm full-time music and not working in any churches anymore, but that transition was, you know, slow. And I think it, it, it was beautiful, this Going to seminary and getting that degree empowered me, I think, to leave the church in a way um, that I could still be friends with it mm. um, and in community with those people. Um, it, was a f- it was fully my decision. No one had the power to kick me out or tell me I wasn't welcome. Like, I just, I don't receive that. <laughs> I, re- I reject that information. You know, I just, that's incorrect. Um, I am learned enough and empowered enough um, 
to to reject to reject that rejection you know it's not it's not mm. for me um so walking away was just it, it was a life-giving move for me it wasn't that I walked away from something life-limiting it was that I was just walking into something more life-giving for myself mm. am I communicating that well it's beautiful okay, I'm good. enjoying it so much no okay. it's it's awesome and I I mean as you're speaking I just have all these questions like um when you say walking into something, what do you, what do you mean? My, I mean, I, 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 for the last couple years now have been full-time music in a way that's a little different than most of my musician friends are full-time. Uh, and in a lot of ways the same. I consider cl- my clergy friends my colleagues in a weird way. Um, <laughs> I consider them my colleagues, but I consider my, you know, songwriting folks my colleagues as well. I'm, I'm a full-time musician. Um, so this weird niche in my career, in my life, that, that my community has helped carve out for me, I think that's what I've walked into, is this way of, of doing um art and spirituality and mm-hmm. faith and life and music um yeah as as a way of life uh that's what i've walked into yeah talk to me more about how you view faith now and spirituality how has that changed or evolved for you yeah i used to say that i i used to make the distinction between being a person of faith and not being a person of faith. And when I first became comfortable as a not Christian, identifying as not a Christian anymore, um, I was also saying that I was not a person of faith. But then a dear friend of mine, a clergy colleague, told me, he was like, it seems like you have more faith now than ever before. Mm. Um in what or who or you know that's maybe different but it's more grounded now you know it's more Mm -hmm. convicted um so yeah I guess I guess that's that's how I see faith I think it's it's broad I think having faith is being grounded in something um or being grounded in your community, or being connected in some way. Um, Mm. I feel very, I feel very connected. Um, So I think that's, that's what it means to me now. I can really relate to that in that um, all the things that I was told growing up would make you feel connected to God. You know, Mm. all the, if you followed the rules and you, Um, and I, I grew up in an evangelical, uh, environment and felt very much like, you know, you're earning your way. And, um, and that was fine because there's so many, um, you know, there's good and bad and everything. And I wouldn't take back my upbringing at all. And I love, love the church that I grew up in, but now I look back at it with this more grounded, like knowing who I am now. And, um, like you, I think I feel more connected to myself and to others. Um, 
at times when you think, I mean, at times when I thought this wouldn't be a time I would feel connected, you know, because maybe loss or grief has occurred. And you're like, no, because my life doesn't look like I'm attending church every Sunday. And I'm doing these things because that's what a person of faith does. And um, so I really, um, what you're saying really resonates with me is what I'm saying. Um, And I love how you call it grounded, like it's, it's a grounding. um, Or you feel integrated, you know, you feel like what you're doing in your life is, is life giving. Um, helps you be a better you, uh, helps you engage in your world with more strength, um, right? Um, I, th- I think that means that whatever faith you have is, is working. Um, but if we're all trying to do the same things, follow the same scripts, maybe they work for some people, for some you know, cis white men in power, middle-class able-bodied men, maybe it works for them, but like, obviously we can't all follow that script, right? Mm -hmm. So the things that make us faithful can't look the same. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm with you. Um, So going back to your music, I'd love to hear, um, I mean, you've been involved with music, you played violin, um, and at what point did your musical journey start to, um, the, the door start to open where you thought, you know, I think I might want to write music. Yeah. I think I might make this, you know, my career. Well, what does that look like for you? Yeah. Um, I always wanted to be a musician and I was always expressive I didn't know I would be a professional, like a career songwriter until much later. Um, But my brother was a songwriter, uh, is a songwriter. And I grew up hearing him. He was the the first person I ever heard, like, make a song. (laughs) Um, Like, he would sit at the piano and play the same chords over and over and over again. Cause that's, that's what you do. It's like a repetitive process and you'd be like scatting over top. He's sort of a jazz, jazz folk guy. <laughs> and I just remember listening to that. So like that's sort of, that wove its way, you know, into my veins and my bloodstream, I think. Um, the songwriting process, just being in the background of my adolescence, right? Even if I wasn't the one doing it, it was, mm-hmm. it was there. I was hearing it happen. How much older is your brother than you? Oh, no. Don't ask me that. Um, (laughs) I think he is. I think he. Hang on. No, I have to do math, but I will do it. Ten years? A decade? Maybe exactly a decade older? Yes. He is exactly a decade older. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he was getting gigs and, and playing coffee shops and bars when I was, you know, a teenager. And um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I had a violin teacher uh, when I was in middle school. His name is Dr. Barry Ross. He um, was with the Kalamazoo Symphony. But he, I brought in a song to play for him in one of our earlier lessons. I got through it, and he said, well, that was just about perfect. 
the only thing that's missing is you. And he asked me, like, what I feel when I play the song. And it was the first time somebody in the classical um, field asked me what I feel when I play this, what, like, asked me to bring myself to the music, you know? Um, it wasn't just math anymore. It wasn't just, I mean, I know we've talked about this in terms of religion and faith, but it wasn't just following a script, right? He was like, who are you mm. when you come to this? Um, I had to go through this journey with both religion and music, figuring out who I am and going from a place of people telling me how to do it, um, people prescribing a way to do it, um, play these notes, these rhythms, this way. And there's a place for that. There's a place for that. It's very formative. And there's a place for that in religion and faith, too. We have to be taught values. We have to be taught rituals. We have to be formed in a certain way to engage with the world um, in life-giving ways, right? We don't just, mm -hmm. we're not born with that necessarily. It's these formative things are good for us, I think. And I had to learn in both of these, in both of these arenas, how to go off script, how to bring myself into it. Um, and so that's, I think, that was the start, was Barry Ross asking me what I felt when I played a piece of music. How dare he? <laughs> he really lit a fire. Um, yeah, and then I wrote my first song in, in high school. Really, really terrible. We shouldn't talk about it. It was really bad. Um, <laughs> and I was, I was writing bad songs for a long time um, with the occasional okay song sprinkled in. Um, most songs are bad. Most songs are bad. We're just not hearing them. Songwriters are only giving you their best 10% of songs. And they're writing nine other songs that you're not hearing that are really, really bad. Just so you know. Um, <laughs> so I was writing bad songs for a long time. And, and it wasn't until, I think, I would say the last five or so years when they started getting, getting better. But um, mm. yeah. I don't remember your initial question, but I think I got there. I'm sure that you did and more because okay. I was like, what did I ask? Okay. Which I, well, and actually, I think it wasn't just your music journey. I go. just said, I, I just opened the door and let you walk through it. I was like, just or, or like put you in the driver's seat. Let's just see where we go. Okay. Right. Good. Right. Um, and, and that's perfect. Um, so talk to me about your songwriting process. I, and first off, thank you so much for saying what you did about there's all this stuff you don't see because, you know, people see the product, especially social media makes everything seem like, oh, this is every moment of my life. And what they don't see is all the um, well, like most recently, I've been um, making videos for teachers and they don't see the 12 times that I went. <laughs> or, I, or I filmed or I got the whole minute done and I watched it and went, you look so awkward. What is wrong with you? Like, I mean, you know, because being an artist, um, sometimes people don't understand it's work and people see the thing that moves them, the finished product. And they think, wow, I, I wish that I had that talent. I wish I had that ability. And so many people do. 
And um, I think that you're very fortunate to have the family that you do mm -hmm. and to have grown up in a you know supportive system where there's so many people out there that are capable of doing the things that we do and they aren't given the resources. Right. And so it's so important, I think, to remember that we're just sort of giving, even though, yes, it's selfish too. There are selfish reasons why we do what we do or it's fulfilling to us. And I mean, if we aren't being fulfilled, how are we going to be of use to anybody else? So I think it's okay to be, you know, about yourself in that way. Like I want to be a good person. I want to do these things so that I feel good and I feel valuable so that then I can give back. Right. Um, to other people. Right. And so um, I'm just really glad you talked about that process that it isn't all rainbows and ponies and like, you know, it's it is it's hard work. And, um, and you get these glimpses, though. And the longer you do it, the glimpses, you get more of them. Right. And, um, and so just thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. So I would love to hear about your songwriting process. Sure. Um, just I'm opening the door. You go yeah. ahead. Songwriting process is hard to talk about. It's, I don't know. I recently told somebody that I don't know how to write a song <laughs> in the same way, <laughs> in the same way that I don't know how to breathe, but I do it. And if I think about breathing, the more that I really think about it, the more kind of labored it becomes. But if I can get out of my own way, it'll happen on its own. And the difference there with songwriting is that you do have to make space, carve out space, sit down in the writer's chair, open the notebook. You do have to create the environment for the song to show up on its own. Um, <laughs> you know, your body's not just going to write a song. I mean, maybe it does for some people. Um, for some magic people, but for the rest of us, it is work. And the sitting down and holding the pen and putting it on the piece of paper is actually such a brutal, brutal process um, because it's not good. And when something is not good, you write a line that makes no sense or that is poetically um, sickening. Um, <laughs> it's discouraging but you have to keep your butt on the seat and just do the work um, until something something comes of it, you know, um, until the muses decide that they're going to cooperate. Um, <laughs> and they're not if you force them and you're mean to them um, and you're mean to yourself. I didn't start writing okay songs until I was saying nicer things to myself, until I was telling mm. myself nicer stories, until my mean voices started to be in, con in conversation with the kinder ones, you know, started to entertain the kinder voices. Um, because the muses aren't mean, they're playful. You know, they just want to explore. Um, and if I have a mean judge in my head all the time telling them they're not allowed to do that, the songs are going to not be good. Um, but I just have this notebook here. I wanted to show you how just messy and atrocious. And you're not, that your listeners aren't going to be able to see it. But it's really just a lot of scribbles, a lot of arrows um a lot of what is this what is this <laughs> parentheses and it's just terrible um i can't read it i think that's the word grandma at the top of the page in the margins um it's just it's really quite messy and um most of this in this notebook is not going to be used it's not going to be put in a song but um 
but I had to get it out. You know, I had to metabolize it. So to answer your question about songwriting, about the process, I think for me, it's a matter of metabolizing information, emotions, um, visual, sensory, auditory um, data from the world. It's like metabolizing it, synthesizing it, moving it through my body onto a page or sitting here and staring at a wall for a while while my mind metabolizes the information. That's most of the process. And then I grab a guitar or a piano um, and I doodle around until something like a hook feels interesting. And then I start Mm. to glue together the synthesis of emotional information or sensory information and musical hook. And somehow the breathing happens. And I I don't think I can tell you how it happens because it only happens when I get out of my own way. Um, So it somehow happens. I think it's magic. I would believe that it was magic if it weren't so much work. (laughs) (laughs) And I... (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I don't, um, I'm, I have object writing exercises. I have exercises. I have tools, you know, that are sort of tried and true method, tried and true methods to, to get all of that data and information and emotion metabolized and onto a page. But the actual moment when the song happens, I don't know, man. <laughs> Who is your inspiration? Like, who are your favorite songwriters or maybe just writers of of books, poetry? Um, What inspires you? What inspires me? So much inspires me. Um, Writers, I, songwriters, I really enjoy music theater and Mm -hmm. I enjoy um, Brandy Carlisle. And Joni Mitchell and Sarah Bareilles. Um, those are wonderful. Younger writers uh, today, uh, Lizzie McAlpine, um, all, the, all of the people in Boy Genius, that group, um, they're also interesting. Their writing is changing mine the more that I listen to it um, in a fun, fun, fun way. They do particular storytelling really well. So I'm, I'm enjoying studying them. Um, poetry, I have right here a book of um, this Sufi poet um, named Hafez. I've got this poetry book from him on my shelf, and I'll read from that every once in a while. He helps me take myself less seriously and get into my body. Um, yeah, so lots of lots of things. I'm inspired by the metaphors of the religion that I grew up in, of Christianity. I see Eucharist and holy water and um, death and resurrection everywhere, everywhere. Um, So I'm inspired by that. The world around me, I'm inspired. I I don't know. Did I answer your question? You said all the things, yes. Okay. You were both particular and you were great. Picture. It was great. It was great. 
Okay. Um, I have to make sure I say too that I just want to put in the plug about your coming to Midland, yes. Michigan, um, to do. I just was Thank like, you. I have to say this. Um, yeah, because that is it's a Friday, right? Friday, January twelfth. Twelfth. Yes. At what time? Seven p.m. 7 p.m. at Creative 360. Yes. Um, and that's going to be awesome. So I just want to make sure that I get that word out to as many people. Please. Um, and we bring as many people as possible because it's just going to be such a gift for our community to have you here. I can't wait. And everybody is welcome. There's a suggested $20 donation at the door if you can swing it. But if you can't swing it, just show up. We just want you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you most proud of? as a musical artist, like whether it's a song you wrote or an impact. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> shoot. What am I most proud of? Um, I'm, pl- I'm proud of Plowshare, um, particularly for the young people that have resonated with it. Um, young people will, you know, cover the song and send it to me. And that's, um, that I'm very proud to have given young, young people who are growing up in this culture, this climate, um, especially young people who are, uh, growing up in maybe more evangelical spaces, giving them like another story, another option, another way. I'm really proud of that. I think, um, I could say other things about performing and whatever things about myself, but I think I'm really proud of that. Um, giving giving young people another story. Is there any question um, that I didn't ask you that you wish I would have asked you, or anything that you didn't get to say that you would like to share? I don't think so. You did a great job. I talk so much. It, I. <laughs> <laughs> I think that between your questions and my rambling, we probably covered everything. We make a great team. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. We got it. Cool. That's great. Um, well, thank you for just taking time out of your day to spend with me. I'm super grateful to get to meet you. And again, it's amazing when I look back at that moment when I watched that video of Plowshare Prayer and now two years later, it's like, I'm sitting talking to you. Like life is pretty crazy. (laughs) I'm happy that it's working out. And I so appreciate you helping get that show together. I think it's going to be so fun. And I'm really grateful. Thank you. Mm -hmm.